hopefully everybody's had a chance to get a drink, a bit of refreshment. Uh, let's let's touch base uh, with uh, a couple of people. Let's speak to Kyle. Um, and I'm hoping it's the Kyle O'Reilly that I know. Kyle, are you there? Hello. Oh, it is. Hi, Kyle. How are you? Hi, Kyle. Yeah, all right. I'm very well. How are things? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Good stuff. Um, obviously, Carl, I, I, I know you, you're working in the women's game yourself, aren't you? How are things going for you? Um, so, so. It's a bit of a mixed bag season. Um, started off really well and really positive. And then, yeah, taking a bit of a turn for worse in recent months. So, a bit up and down. Yeah, and you're a, you're a Leeds fan as well, Kyle, aren't you? So you you get it both ends. Well, yeah, I don't like to admit that though. At the minute. Okay, oh, that's it. I've, I've outed you. I've outed you. You'll be fine, Kyle. I'm sure. Um, so, so Kyle, I I thought it was um, a really interesting uh, question, but do you just want to come back with your reply to uh, to Mark? Yeah, I put it's it's about adding value to the player um, and group. Even when competition is present, I pressed enter sort of a bit too soon. Um, but my sort of idea and thinking was that as a coach or a manager, you only work with a player um, or a group for a limited amount of time. So it could be two, three years. It could be six months, you know, if you get the chop early. Um, so I think in that time, regardless of the um, competition, it's about adding value to the individual's and the group and the club. Um, yeah, so does your coaching change? I don't think so. Um, I, I think it's about adding value regardless of competition or not. Um, and I think the best coaches can do that. Uh, Mark, Mark what, what, what do you make to Carl's comments? Yeah, 100%. I think that's uh, some really good points there. I think especially in a professional game, we see it on a week-to-week -week basis, don't we? That's... You know, suddenly results change and everything else changes. I think the uh, the key to any successful environment I've been in is when you go in on a Monday morning, you can't quite work out whether the team has won or has lost. Um, there's just a consistent feel of improvement there. and It's very rare, actually, in, in a professional game, which was a surprise, but that's certainly the case. So I think, Kyle, you've, you've probably stumbled a lot of points that I, I, I stumbled upon myself, really, and added to my philosophy. Oh, do you want to come back to that? No, thank you. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, nice one. Thanks for that. Cheers. Let's speak to uh, Alex, Alex Weaver. Look at that for a picture. Hi, Alex. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hi, Spencer. Good. Thank you. Hi, Mark. Hi, Alex. How are you? Uh, Alex, what was, your, what was your response to, uh, uh, to, to, to Mark's question? Yeah, we, we, we obviously have to define the competition, don't we? I mean, are, are we talking about competition in terms of the objectives of the game or are we talking, talking about competition in terms of um, a league competition or, uh, or a tournament or, or something like that? Because obviously you, you can't take away the, the competition, which is the general, the basic uh, objective to win, to win the game, score one more goal than the other, the other team. Um, and I think Mark was touching upon it just, and I, I think he's, he's talking about the processes that coaches go through uh, in order to achieve those goals when he referred to going in on a Monday morning and not understanding whether the team has won or lost. And that's because 
the coaching staff and the, uh, and the staff within the team or the club environment is, is so focused on those coaching processes which contribute to the team scoring one more goal than the opposition, which is winning, which is, which is, which is correct because that's what you are trying to do as coaches. You are trying to improve your players to improve football. Um, and so that would be a logical outcome of, a, of an environment that has that culture and understanding of, uh, of improving football. You're, you're looking at improving processes. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think what Mark said there was, uh, was quite logical. Mm. Mark, do you want to come back to that? Yeah, oh, for sure. I think that, that, that is exactly probably the point I, I wanted to get across in relation to... Yeah, and it's difficult, isn't it? I think if you look at the professional game um, and you look at managers who are under pressure and you say, are they probably performing differently to when they weren't under pressure? Like a player, I suppose, when you're high on confidence, how do you play versus when you're low on confidence? But I think from a coaching perspective, there's a lot more in your control. You know, as a player, there's so many things that can affect your confidence, but as a coach... Really, there's a lot of things that you can control to make sure that you are putting that confidence across the team and creating the environment you mentioned, Alex, that you want to create on a daily basis. Uh, thanks, Alex. Really appreciate that. Okay. Um, uh, let's just have one more. Let's go to uh, David, uh, David Bamford. David, how are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yourself? Uh, not bad surviving, surviving. And um, so you've also you've also said that you, you, your coaching probably wouldn't, wouldn't change. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, I mean, if there wasn't a competition on the Saturday, on the basis that uh, players um, will uh, use a high level of intensity during a competition, if there isn't a competition, there's got to be somewhere else where they can display that intensity so they can um, still develop and um, still... Instead of sort of, sometimes you get this sort of roller coaster effects if you're not careful. Where if there isn't a competition, the players' focus and intensity drops off a little bit, then you've got to wait another couple of weeks for it to pick up again. So rather than um, changing the the ideas that I've been developing for probably four week blocks or six week blocks, um, if there's not a competition, then that shouldn't really change the philosophy of of the direction of the um, of the ideas that you're trying to get across to the players. Um, but I would just add a little bit more intensity into that practice. Um, so they they the players will experience a little bit of that intensity that they've missed out on a Saturday. That makes sense? Matt? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good point. It's interesting. It's, um, I think when this question got asked to me, there was two two people and two quotes that came to mind. There's a famous American football coach called uh, Bill Walsh. And uh, if anyone gets the chance to read his book, it's an epic read. <laughs> One of your favourites, Ryan, isn't it? Yeah, the score the, takes care of itself, the I believe. The score will take care of itself. Oh, I've got, got yeah. it tattooed on me back. That <laughs> the, uh, an audio book that took about two years to get through. Um, <laughs> but no, it, that, that phrase of exactly that, the school take care of, it takes care of itself, yeah. is one to always remember. And Roberto was, was good at it. He, he also had a line around, he would judge a performance based on a 10-game block. So regardless of the result in that game, 
would that performance be good enough to win more than you lose over 10 games? Um, and I think that just gives you some form of consistency as a player yeah. and as a team, because as we all know, it's a low scoring game. There, uh, there is luck involved. And I think your ability, to, especially for a player, gives you a bit of confidence to know that you've got some processes to go through. And if we get them right, when regardless, not regardless whether we win or lose, but we know that we're doing the right things, it gives the best chance of winning. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why I put the answer that I did was there was another question that was thrown at me some years ago in one of my coaching badges. If on a, a game day you won 10-0 or you lost 10-0, would your next practice react to that, that scoreline? Mm. Uh, and it shouldn't. Yeah. You discuss it and you, you work out with the players what went wrong and what you need to be doing better in the next game. But to be a reactive coach is to, was always drummed into me that it's quite negative. You should be objective rather than reactionary. 100%. But it's easier said than done, David, isn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. But it, it was a hard lesson for me to learn, but I pretty well remain consistent to that type of philosophy. For sure. That's a great way of looking at it. Yes, thanks, David. Brilliant, brilliant, David. Thanks for uh, 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 thanks for that, um, uh, Mark. Just uh, do, do you want to make any additional points on on, on that question? Because I think that that went into some interesting areas and interesting the Bill Wall stuff um, uh, come up. And you know why why can't we why can't we get to that environment uh, in 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 our game here? Is it is it all the external pressure? Is it societal pressure where you know, we should really the most, the most, uh, the most pure and clean version would be where, you know, winning is a symptom of all the good things that we're doing, like you touched on there with Martinez. Why do so many clubs fail to even start the process to working towards that? Yeah. Well, look, I think, look at something like Everton at the moment. Um, you know, I just find it they're, they're making. A lot of decisions, but there are their part decisions. I think when you are in those those environments, it, it is it is really difficult. You know, when there's external pressure, and I, and I can imagine that you probably feel like whatever you do is wrong. Um, and I think also to to create a vision, a mission, detail a strategy with some clear objectives can feel like a long process and I think they always go to a lot of the time the go-to in football is let's just win next Saturday yeah and and, and ultimately they are conflicting you know and mm. it's very difficult to manage both I think if you've got a vision without some clear goals underneath it that vision can feel a long way away and if you've got a lot of small goals without that big vision those small goals to make you feel like, what are we doing this for? So I think the ability to like have those in combination partnership is is really, really key. But to get there, you've got to spend time. There's, there's no other way of putting it. And you've got to sell it and you've got to commit to it. And um, yeah, e easier said than done because especially in, in the modern era with social media, um, so many TV shows and newspapers, it's... I get it. The, the pressure can be can be very very big. It takes a a strong person to yeah. stick to to what they want to do from an ownership and a management perspective. 
you, you know, it's triggered me there, Mark, because I think I, I the, the next time I, I sit down with an owner of a club, I think I want to ask them the same question. Um, you know, how would they run the club differently if uh, you know, promotion and relegation wasn't on the cards, for it, for example? I think I think the changes would be equally as dramatic for ownership. Oh, for sure. I think um, when, when I was in the Wheelers game, I spent a lot of time in America, so I've made a lot of contacts in America. And when you look at American sport, the reason, one of the reasons why they can be so innovative <laughs> and forward-thinking is there's no fear of relegation. Yeah, yeah Rick, great, great comment from Rick there. Welcome to the MLS. Yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> Well, in fact, in fact, it's even worse in the MLS, isn't it? Because you get rewarded for finishing bottom because you get the first pick of the draft. Yeah, it's a bizarre system. Bizarre system, Rick. <laughs> anyway, let, 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 let's move on before let's we go. totally yeah. deconstruct the structures of our game. Yeah, we don't want to upset Rick. We don't want to upset Rick. So a bit of uh, player development now, Mark. So technology is, is quite prominent, so we're getting more and more technology um, in the game. How valuable do you feel that analysis is in terms of player development and any you know, recent examples in your last role, I suppose, and how you've used that? Yeah, I think it's, it's huge, really. Um, you know, when, when I play, for example, I've never seen myself play. Um, I, was, I wasn't professional. I, was, I played to a high level, as probably as high as you can get from a semi-professional perspective, but I've, I've never seen myself play. Um, so any feedback I got was purely based on someone's observation in the moment. Yeah. Um, and then obviously their ability to sell that to me, because clearly if I didn't see it, I had the choice to believe whether I would believe them or not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a huge part of the coaching process now, the ability to, to watch games back, to analyse collectively, individually, and also now I think young people now are, are so much used to using technology and so adept with technology that they do want to see, watch their game back. They want to see some data and some statistics in relation to their performance and, and actually measure, are they actually getting better? Is what you're helping them with, is what you're telling them, helping them do effective? Um, and then from there then, have some dialogue and some challenge. So, yeah, especially at, at England in particular, we had a huge individual development plan focus. Um, we actually set up and initiated what we call a world-class player programme where obviously we knew we didn't have the players for that long. So we spent a huge amount of resource and time on individual development, um, analysing games, analysing training sessions, setting goals, Fitness, physical targets, nutritional targets, psychological targets, you know, so much work to really, how can we max out, how can we make sure that we're doing everything we can to be yeah. the best we can be. And on a smaller scale, it was something that we tried to at Stevens as well. Yeah. And did going back to England, did they have such like an individual development plan with key performance goals that they worked against? Yeah, for sure. We had, um, we work a lot on what we call goal trees. So for the team, we, we would create uh, a collectively create a, what we call a goal tree. So if at the top, what's our vision, what we're trying to do, what was our objective for the calendar year, what were the sort of targets along the way that we knew we had to, to try and hit to make sure we could achieve it at the end. 
And then the most important part beneath that, what are the sort of tactics and strategies that we need to make sure we're delivering to make those things happen? Yeah. And we replicated that from an in, in individual point of view as well. So each player had their own vision, they had their own season objective. Obviously, their measures month to month, game by game, six game, six game blocks. And then, yeah, again, underneath it, what we what we're going to focus on in this next six weeks. Yeah. Again, going back to that point of you know, if my vision is to be the best, to win the Ballon d'Or. You know, I can feel a long way away if I'm you know struggling on a Saturday one Saturday afternoon. But if I know that in the next six weeks I've got to improve my 2020 by a certain score or my by passing by a certain percentage, it's um, a bit a lot more achievable. So yeah, for sure, I think that that individual side of it is becoming bigger and bigger. That ability to know that we're teams within teams. We use the Andy Murray example a lot, and the story player was familiar with. But as the story goes, and I was lucky enough to spend time with the LTA, and Andy Murray was was just bashing away, but just couldn't break that that top five. You know, he let alone world number one, and he decided that he was going to commit to a, a program in digital development. We're getting there, so he employed a nutritionist, a physical coach, a fitness coach, a psychologist, a mental well-being coach. Things that are commonplace now, but at the time were were unheard of. And I think it's only a matter of time, really, before that that comes into football, especially with the, the finance and resource available to players. Uh, just on the on the data stuff, Mark. So, I mean, how much attention did you pay uh, pay to the data? Because I mean, obviously, we can have somebody who's got a past completion rate of one hundred percent, but they've always gone backwards. So, uh, you know, how much use did you get out of that? Yeah, I mean, we we used a lot. I think with England and, and less so with Steamage because of resources, but still with Steamage. And I think that you know the data really will just give you some reinforcement at times around making some big decisions so you know we, we identified probably six or seven kpis that we felt the evidence told us over time that if if they were going in our favor we were more likely to win a football match yeah. and if they started to go against us our odds of winning would dip and i think always with data it allows you to make informed decisions it shouldn't be the key reason you make your decision it should inform your decisions and i think as a manager on the sideline when you feel something you it's 15 minutes to go it's nil nil you know do you make a change do you not i've always felt having some hard statistical evidence that i understand clearly normally inform me to make a better decision in that moment of pressure so it's a su supplement really to what you've seen with your eye you know on the day 100 percent, a combination you know there's yeah. Unfortunately, there's no data set that's perfect. That you know that that's telling you what to do. If it was, then computers would run teams. Yeah. Good stuff, Ryan. Um, uh, there's quite a few questions that have come in, so I think we're just going to, if it's all right with Spencer, should we just move it onto the coach development so we can get the questions in at the end? Yeah, sure, sure. Because so, I'm really, I'm, I'm really keen to ask you, Mark. Um, uh, uh, you, you know, you've completed the UA for Pro License. Uh, you know, what did you make of the course um, uh, and what was the key learning for you um, uh, and the key learning and development for you out of it? Yeah, it was, it, it was a big thing to pro-license. I always, as a young, I don't know why, but it was, it was something I always felt I wanted to do. And probably the biggest thing I took from it was uh, was a network. Um, yeah. 
you know, you, you learn a lot from tutors and from the guest speakers. And I was fortunate enough to have some great ones. Um, but, but in the main, it's being around the, the other people on the course on a regular basis over a cup of coffee, over yeah. a glass of wine, you know, just talking about the things that we've all experienced and, and working out what a solution is really, you know, this is the problem I had. Have you had it before? What did you do? That's interesting. I thought of it. So that was the biggest thing I took really about, you know, learning from other experiences and especially in, in the time I did it, um, not being a former player, not having probably a, a big reputation at the time was, you know, some confidence on, on doing things that I, I probably would have done before. Mm. Um, I remember my pro license having a big focus on um, public speaking with my individual development plan. Yeah. Uh, a mentor I still work with this day challenged me to um, deliver five talks with varying audience sizes with no preparation. And um, I can still remember the first one now. There's only, there only 50 people there. But I can remember in the car on the way in just thinking, I, I don't want to get out of this car. Wow. Um, but obviously, like anything, the more you do it, the better you get. And the more uncomfortable situations you put yourself in, in my experience, um, the more you learn. And that was certainly something I got from the pro license. Yeah. And so was that a formal part of the pro license that they put you out of your comfort zone and drove you somewhere to do a speech? I mean, yeah, it was part of an individual development plan, really. So we did a lot of psychological profiling. Yeah. Um, and, and something I'm really big on now is that, you know, as, as Spencer mentioned earlier, about a lot of players have individual development plans. And I think it's naive from a coach not to think they should have one themselves. They're around where do they want to go, how do they want to get there, yeah, what right, do yeah. they need, where they want to improve. I think it just keeps you focused on a, on a daily basis around delivering what you need to deliver, but also continuing to look to get better. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we obviously speak to a lot of people like yourself that have worked in development and done the, done the top courses. And there's this thread of the best learning, the best learning being around the coffee table and in the social moment in between the formal learning. And is that something that you subscribe to? And watch, what does that mean for how our CPD and our courses should actually be formulated? Oh, good question. I think, uh, look, I think the advice to coaches would be don't be afraid to reach out to people and have conversations. Um, you know, I, I've probably been batted away 10 times more than I've been accepted or, mm. or given an opportunity to speak to someone, but it hasn't stopped that process of going on. Um, I think the moment you go quiet is the moment you probably stop learning. And especially in this industry, you just, you never know when a, a good contact can, can help you out. Um, and certainly on the course of my career, conversations that I probably didn't want to have, I've had, and five years down the line, that conversation leads to an opportunity. So absolutely for sure. I think your ability to step out your comfort zone, to, to approach people, to be brave enough to engage in dialogue and share your views is has been a massive something for me that has helped me along the way. And I know when I've had moments of of lows, of low, low on confidence, low on self belief, it's made it difficult and made me feel isolated. 
In terms of the, the coaching, Mark, has there been anything that's been, uh, why I've observed somebody or been on an education program, it's given you a real wow moment, you thought, crack, you know, this, this is good, this is real learning. Is there anything that stands out for you? Um, do you know what? I think from, from other sports in the main, um, I, at my pro licence, I spent a week with Saracen's Rugby Club. Um, and, and, and they were, they were, they were a real, that was a real high performing environment. That was the environment where it was player led, player driven, uh, everything about improvement, getting better, but with a smile on their face. Um, took a lot from that. And I think in the main as well, spending time in organizations away from sport. Um, I was lucky enough to, obviously as an international manager, you get time in between camps to go and learn. And I think that that's where that, mentality of the Monday morning high performance feeling, not the ups and downs with losses and, 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 and wins, was something I took from outside the football world and the business world. Yeah. You know, a lot of the things I was seeing in the business world was just very process driven, uh, really clear on the vision, really clear on the culture, and, and just everyday delivering and, and believing that if they did that, as, as Bill Watts said, the result will take care of itself. Mm. Yeah, I, I think reading that book's a bit of a wow moment for people who haven't read it before, isn't it, in itself? Absolutely. And, and you know, his, his insistence that everyone plays a part in the journey as well. And, but, you know, I think that the small little bits, the bit we talked about, about the contracting earlier, that I've always felt that, you know, with, with any, in any industry, any field, if... I know I work better when I know exactly what's expected of me and I'm given some rope to, to try and get it done. And I think if you can get those two bits right in every area of the football club, you, you give yourself a chance. And same with players, isn't it? I think as a coach, we're very big on framework um, and very small on freedom. Mm. Finding that balance is normally the sweet spot in my experience. Brilliant. Um, well, we've got some questions to get through, so let's uh, let's ask them. Uh, there's a question from uh, Christopher. Christopher says, in terms of the men's and the women's games, do you find generally women are more inquisitive in terms of the why, uh, whether it be exercises, sessions, sessions in general, whereas men just want to get on with it? Uh, so in the women's game, maybe it forces you as a coach to be more on it because... Uh, because if not, they the, the, the will, the will sniff it. He says, so I guess, there's, you know, they're, they're sort of maybe trying to catch you out. But yeah, I, 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 did you find did you find the girls more in, in, in inquisitive in terms of wanting to know the thought process behind the sessions? Or Yeah, I think it would be a fair assessment. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if that was a level, but sounds from Chris's experience is that that's his experience as well. Mm. And I think it's it's always a balance, but, but for me, it's always a culture I try and encourage. Yeah, you know, is that you know, as a player, I had I probably spent every other Friday walking out of a team meeting, looking at my teammates, going, "Why the hell are we playing three five two tomorrow? Or what are we doing playing this team? Or what are we? Why are we? Why do we do that?" And I've always felt as a coach is that I'd rather them tell to my face than behind my back, or I'd rather them tell me before the game so we try and sort it out. Mm. And after the game, and it becomes an excuse for why we lost. So I think you know that that ability to create a culture where you, you create real 
uh, sense of inquisitive from the players where they're really keen to understand everything and they want to know more and more. Um, but, but also at some point we've got to agree on direction travel and, and that professionally to do that is, is really important. And there's many times in the women's and the men's game where I think as a coach, you've got to be brave enough to say, I've heard what you've said. I can understand what I can see where you're coming from, but for this time we are going that direction. Um, and obviously there's other times when you say, I've heard what you said, I agree wholeheartedly, we're going that direction. But I think, you know, once you open the door with some questions, you need to understand as a coach, there's also times where you need to say, yeah, I've heard you, but I don't agree. Mm. Ryan, can we go to Johnny next and get Johnny on? Is that okay? Uh... Are you sorry, Spencer? Johnny McKinstry. Oh, here we go. There we go. Found you. Hi, hi, Johnny. Evening, gents. Can you hear me okay? We've got you. Hi, Johnny. You okay? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good to see everyone. Good evening, Mark. Hey, Johnny. How are you doing? Okay. Good. Thanks. Have you got a question for Mark, Johnny? Yeah, no, I was just interested, Mark. Um, obviously, from your sort of experience in the international game, how did you manage both the players and yourself, say, coming off the back of maybe a disappointing result when you then had that big break after games? You know, so you might not see them for another month and you've maybe not, you know, you've not got the result that you were looking for, the performance you were looking for. How did you manage that both from the player's point of view and for yourself personally? Mm. No, a great point. Uh, I think it was actually something that we spent a lot of resource and time trying to solve. So one of the changes we made, we worked so hard with the, the clubs and with the FA around the resource to try and give ourselves an extra morning after a game. I know it sounds so small, but as you've experienced, you you play a game on a, a Saturday evening and then everyone jumps on a flight early Sunday morning before you can speak to them. So we, we, we found a way around that by working really hard to communicate with the clubs and then again, find us an extra resource to allow ourselves an extra morning. So we, we ended up with a day short of the camp prior to the game, but the negotiation was we got an extra half day post the camp. And I think that allowed us to debrief, work out where we went wrong potentially, but more importantly, re-establish a, a nice firm setting on what we're going to do next to get better. But prior to that, massive challenge. And I think that involved a lot of individual phone calls, individual meetings, club visits, just to try and make sure that everyone stayed on the same path after what can be a difficult times. You know, you might lose two in the camp. You might lose a qualifying game. It's a, uh, yeah, big, big challenge. And I think from a personal perspective, I've just always been big on needed to know what went wrong. So I'm sure you're the same is that you have that, that horrible bit. If you finish the game, get back to your hotel room at 11 p.m., and all you want to do is get in the meeting room, put the big screen on and, and review. And I think from my perspective, how I managed it was to just quickly work out my feelings on the game, my views on the game and how to move forward. Okay. 
Johnny, you've 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 obviously you know been in similar situations yourself. Does that that sort of chime to how how you sort of dealt with situations similar? Yeah, well, I think um, oh, what I wouldn't pay to have that extra morning with the players afterwards. Yeah. You know, I think I think that maybe shows you. I don't know in, in the women's game how maybe everyone's looking out for each other a little bit more than maybe in the men's game. Mark might yeah. tell me differently, but yeah, definitely that extra day to be able to do it. Because genuinely, from my experience, sometimes, and Mark will have had this experience maybe previously, is you know, you there might be breakfast the next morning and you only have 30% of the people still there because they've had to get flights back to their own clubs because maybe they're, you know, traveling quite a far distance, et cetera. So that extra day, I can imagine being very sort of impactful in terms of what you're able to send the players away with. So, yeah, definitely, you know, interesting that they were able to do that. Yeah. I, think it's a re- I think it's a really interesting question, is it? And it'd be interesting to see what other high-performance teams, whether it's Formula One or cycling, do um, in similar situations. But it seems logical, doesn't it, to... to have that extra moment to be to, to, to absorb and 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 that will have value moving forward. I mean, what 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 do you think, Mark? Do you think that there'll ever be space on the international calendar to adopt that into the men's game, or uh, it's no. going to be difficult? <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> for us, it's a probably two years of a dialogue and of give and get. Of we'll give you this, can we get that? We'll give you this, can we get that? And eventually get to the point where we got there, um, but and, but yeah, it's I I I know in the men's game obviously there's that that huge fight, isn't it, between international teams and club teams, and you know as well as I do that the first the, the final whistle goes, and by the time you get back to changing, you've got in my case I'd have 15 missed calls from 15 different club managers asking when their player get back. What's the injury situation? Why didn't so-and-so play? I think all those challenges are, um, yeah, difficult. And I think ultimately you've just got to put the player in the middle of it. You've got to say, look, you know, this is your issue. You know, you want to be an England player, then these are the things we need to do. So do me a favour, have a chat to your manager and tell him that <laughs> this is how it's going to be. Yeah, the phone's off. Leave, leave you alone. That's <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, Johnny, thanks for that. Thanks, Johnny. That's perfect. Okay, uh, Mark, uh, we're, we're heading towards uh, nine pm. It's absolutely flown tonight. But uh, you know, before we, we finish up, I mean, what advice would you give to the coaches uh, that are here tonight? Just about forging a career. Obviously, you've shared your great story with us, starting off at Swansea City at the under twelves, and and obviously getting to the, the women's national team for England and working at Stevenage. You know, what are the, the key things you'd advise the coaches that are listening and who want to forge a career in the game? I think the two, probably two key factors that have, have given me an opportunity or helped me along the way. One is what we talked about earlier about reaching out and being brave enough to, to fail, being brave enough to be told no, put yourself in awkward situations. Um, yeah, it, it's a numbers game, really. I think you've got to, you've ultimately got to create that network. The, the, the chat, I'm not sure I've ever got a job from just sending a CV and a cover letter in. I think every role I've ever got has been that plus working my way around to try and get to people, to speak to them, to give me a chance to sit down in a formal way with them. 
So that'd be number one about just keep building a network, um, be really organized, be really relentless with it, see it as part of your individual development plan. Don't be afraid on, on, on every morning to make a couple of calls and every evening do the same. And I think the second one would probably be, which I know has served me well, is try and find a point of difference. Try and find something that some people won't like, but some people will really, really like. Because whatever role you're going for in football now, you know, there's stories I hear about a youth uh, phase development head or youth phase lead development coach about there being 500 applicants and whatever else it is. That's the case. That is the case. With more and more people being qualified, there's this huge, huge workforce out there and a limited amount of jobs in professional games. So I think you've got to be brave enough to sit in front of people where the odd person might say, think me mad. But the, on the other hand, the odd person might say, I've heard that before. I really like your way of thinking. And I think those two would be my big tips for really, network and point of difference. Brilliant. Okay. And, uh, and Mark, what, what, what are you working on now? When can we expect to, or where can we expect to, to, to see you pop up in the future? Well, I've always, I've always done my own thing alongside my coaching. Um, a bit like, a, a, it's probably one of my lessons from Bristol, really. I talked to you about dual career. Yeah. I think it helped the players a lot. And I saw that. And I, and I think it's helped me. You know, I've always felt when I was in one job and that was my only focus, I could get a bit too obsessive. So I've always tried to have other little bits on the side, which I'm, I'm continuing with now, which I really enjoy. Um, I like I like supporting other businesses. I like working from a culture perspective. I work with some players individually, um, mm. which has always given me a different train of thought rather than how we're going to win on a Saturday. But um, no, I think at some point I'll I'll get back back involved in team setting, and you know I've got some some options coming in the start of next season which I'll consider, and yeah I don't know where that'll be, and uh, whether that'll be as a manager, first team coach, or or more so of uh, a director of football type role. But one of those three I'm hoping will um, will start come the, the start of pre season period. Fantastic. Uh, well, as Spencer alluded to that, we've, uh, we've arrived uh, at nine o'clock. Um, as always, uh, the time has absolutely flown. Uh, apologies to those uh, people that had sent in a question that we couldn't quite get to. Uh, I thought it was, uh, there was loads of stuff there that um, I've I, I, I taken, taken a lot from. Really, your, 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 your question in the middle there, Mark, is, is really thought-provoking. I think all of us work in... Uh, in, in, in the game and, and something that we need to think about and remind ourselves on as we, we fight back against the, against the ills of modern society. Uh, Spencer, what, what, what were your main takeaways? I think for me and for you know, the coaches listening, you know, where, as I mentioned just a little earlier, where Mark started off you know, at the under-12s, then the 14s, and basically having that desire to develop, uh, continue and challenge himself and take himself out of his comfort zone. You know, the, the presentations uh, without rehearsing. I'm not sure I'd do that because I love a rehearsal, don't I, Ryan? But, uh, <laughs> you, know, yeah. so, you know, stuff like that. And I think, you know, for, for coaches wanting to progress in the game and, again, having the network is key. I was speaking to um, a professor on one of the master's degrees on doing a sports directorship one, and he said, you know, you, you get the qualifications, you get your master's degree. But without the network, 
you're not going to get the openings in football. So I think that's a really valid point that Mark makes and uh, you know one that uh, should be followed up for sure. Next month, Ryan, we have uh, Gerard Jones joining us, don't we? Uh, who's going to be speaking about a subject that I'm fascinated with, scanning or visual exploration or, or whatever we call it these days. So he's going to be presenting developing decision makers for us uh, next month. Yeah, we're really looking forward to that. Um, and you know, just, just thing I'd like to put out there to the audience as well. If you think there's a subject um, uh, that you, you think we could cover, um, uh, I think we're going to try and do more of this sort of topic-led uh, uh, conversation uh, moving moving forward. Then please uh, get in touch. Also, if you could share um, when we convert this into a podcast across the across all the all all the places that you can get a podcast. If you could like and share, that would mean a lot to us. Uh, Mark, thanks again for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your insight. And um, uh, yeah, we look forward to just uh, uh, to, to seeing uh, your next move. Everybody, thank you for tuning in tonight. Spencer, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks ever so much, Mark. Really enjoyed that. It was fantastic. And uh, we'll see you guys uh, on the 21st of March. So see you next month. Thank Bye you. Bye, everybody. Have a great evening. Cheers. Bye-bye. Good night.